Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, along with engineer-producer Mark Phillips at Airwave Studio in Birmingham, Alabama, and we've got a special guest that we think's got as good a grasp of the gridiron rivalry and relationships that exist between the University of Alabama and Texas A&M as anybody we know. He played and coached with big names on both sides of the field, so he's really had a room with a view of the feud. But before we get to our guest, we thought we'd share a few facts about our friends from A&M that'll be taking their first trip to Tuscaloosa. Now, we all know this is their first year as a member of the SEC, having upgraded from the Big 12. Previous to that, they'd been a charter member of the old Southwest Conference since it was formed in 1914. And before that, they'd been affiliated with five other conferences, so the SEC's actually the eighth league they've belonged to. They claim 18 conference championships, with 17 of those occurring during their years in the Southwest Conference, and they won number 18 as a member of the Big 12 in 1998. They've been awarded three national championships, and their one Heisman Trophy winner, John David Crow, played at A&M under Coach Bryant and later served as an assistant coach under him for a number of years at Alabama. John David Crow Jr. attended Tuscaloosa High School along with yours truly and played at Alabama under Coach Bryant in the late 70s. Now Texas A&M has got some unique traditions and one of them is that they have yell leaders instead of cheerleaders and they perform most of the same routines as regular cheerleaders except for the gymnastics and dance moves which is probably a good thing since it's an all-male squad. Now, of course, everybody's entitled to their own take on things, but I'm really glad we don't keep Bama's finest features in the bleachers. I'm sure their guys do a great job, but I don't think many at Bryant-Denny would like it if we didn't have the gentler gender render some rah-rah, too. I kind of like seeing some ponytails on top of those pyramids, and you know when it gets right down to it, a cheerleader without pom-poms is kind of like a drum set without tom-toms. Truth be told, I can tell you why I like the way Bama does it in two words, Seal Ward. Moving along, most college football fans have heard about the 12th Man, which is another one of A&M's long-standing traditions. It started in 1922 at the Dixie Classic, which was the forerunner of the Cotton Bowl. It was an unusually hard-fought contest that led to so many injuries that the A&M coach was afraid he wouldn't have enough players to finish the game, so he called on a student that was sitting in the stands to come down and dress out in case he was needed later. Now, he never actually got into the game, but his readiness to play symbolized the student's school spirit and support for their team. One of the many things that Alabama and A&M have in common is that Coach Bryant and Gene Stallings coached at both schools, and both of them are members of the College Football Hall of Fame. What a lot of people don't know is that Gene Stallings was inducted into the Hall of Fame as a player, too. Now, while Texas A&M's biggest rival has always been Texas, LSU and Arkansas are right behind the horns in terms of rivalry ranking, and the Aggies have played Bama four times, including one ball game in Birmingham, so the boys from the banks of the Brazos won't feel like complete strangers when they head east to compete with the best in the SEC West. But it's probably safe to say that the one narrative that these two national names are known for is junction. When Coach Bryant arrived in College Station in 1954, he decided that they needed to get away from all the distractions, so he made plans to hold preseason practice sessions at a small town called Junction. This came in the midst of a four-year drought that was the worst in the recorded history of that region, with temperatures during all 10 days of that camp hovering in the high 90s or worse. Coach Bryant wanted to find out who wanted to play by seeing who'd stay, and to this very day, it's fair to say that fall camp remains the most famous in college football history. Junction might well be where the biggest name in the coaching game first came into the national spotlight, and he had a special group of young football players with him. Our guest today was there. 
He's one of the guys that got back on the bus when it was all over. He had walked on at A&M and wound up winning a scholarship. And in his case, I cannot imagine any kind of aptitude test that you could take that can measure what it took to pass muster for the master at Junction. I had the privilege of getting to know him 12 years ago, and it's just a real treat to get to talk to him. Dee Powell, it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. It's I'm looking forward to talking with you about Junction and Texas A&M and uh, the history of some of the things Coach Bryant did. Hey, you know, Dee, we've, we've all heard the stories about Junction, and I've read a lot about it over the years. Coach Bryant said many times that, you know, if a man was going to quit, he wanted him to do it in practice, not in a game. It's pretty clear he was determined to find out what you guys were all about. What was it that got you through that? Well, uh, I'm not sure, but we just didn't want to quit and go home and say, well, we didn't make it. And so he instilled that in us to fight to the last play. But when we got here, we had spring practice. Coach Bryant was hired for us in spring practice, and we all heard about him before he got there. We heard this guy really is a tough football coach, and so when he arrived on the campus that spring before we went to Junction, there's a place called the Grove on the campus where all the males that were there, we didn't have any girls, so we had an introduction of Coach Bryant in the Grove. And all the yell leaders were there, not cheerleaders, but yell leaders were there, and all the corps was there, and the band was there, and Coach Bryant appeared. We had never seen him. We just heard about him. And all of a sudden, this tall thing got up on the stage, and he walked to the microphone, and he grabbed that microphone, and he says, I'm ready to win some games. And boy, the corps just erupted. And he took his coat off and threw it on the floor, loosened his tie, and he began to talk about what he was going to do with the football team there at College Station in uh, Texas A&M. And so we got a taste of what we thought he might be like, but we didn't know. You didn't what, have any idea. We yet. had no idea. And so this is important, I think, because what he did was he listed the roster every day for who got a uniform to practice in spring practice. And I was way down at the bottom because I was a walk-on. And every day they would go through things where you just run into each other. Now, they coached us some about tackling and blocking and everything, but he really wanted to find out who was tough enough to not give up when the going got tough. And so there was a lot of – next day he'd have on the bulletin on the board right there who was there, and the people that didn't get baskets, they were just done. So you were a sophomore when Coach Bryant got to College Station? I was a sophomore. Okay, so now you'd been there as a freshman, yeah. as a walk-on. Right. So you weren't exactly in favored status to begin with right off the bat, right? No, I was a, I was a freshman, second semester. Okay. So had you gone through any kind of practices or indoctrination with yeah. the previous coach? Right, right. But well, I didn't get to do much, though. So. Okay. So I, my guess is from what we've heard and, and heard about was that the, the change in the intensity levels was pretty intense. Pretty intense. Yeah. Yes. Goodness. You know, those were the days when coaches thought drinking water during those kind of workouts would make you sick. And of course, we know better than oh, that. Oh, you now, couldn't have any water. Uh, with the way you guys went at it all day in that heat, it's amazing there weren't more serious illnesses than there were. Was there ever a point where you wondered if you could keep going? Every day. Every day. <laughs> sure, but we just didn't want to give up. And so we made it to the end of practice and got in, and, you know, we were just whipped. But we decided, uh, those, those of us that stayed, we decided we were going to stick together, and we'd lose a good Split receiver, because we didn't throw many passes, but we'd lose a talented athlete. They'd just leave. And so we finally got down to where we didn't have a bunch of talented athletes, but we had a bunch of hard-nosed, tough son-of-a-guns that had gone through spring practice. 
and Coach Bryant made a team out of them. And so we went home because this was my freshman second semester. We went home and spent the summer, and we kept wondering, we wonder what we're going to do this fall. And when we came back that fall, before we could unload our trunks and everything, because we had trunks back then, we bought them, put them in the dorm. They said, "Don't unload your things because we're not we're not going to stay here." And I thought, "We're not going to stay here." Uh oh. What in the world are we going to do? But anyway, so finally someone said they're going to take us to Junction because that's a school for people to get started at A&M and learn about the military and about all the discipline and everything because they had such a washout when they came to campus. They would get them ready for A&M, and they'd get here, and they wouldn't have as much of a washout to be able to keep more students and more uh, people like that. So we went to Junction, and it was just a place out in the wilderness where they had a place to cook food and some bunks to stay in. And there was a big fence with a big old gate that was made out of aluminum and had a big old chain and a lock on it. So when they'd lock it, that chain would hit the fence. And if, uh, we were in Quonset huts, and we stayed out there 10 days. He planned to stay two weeks uh, or maybe maybe 21 days. But he said, I'm gonna, I have to go back because I'm afraid I'm going to start losing my coaches because it was tough out there. But anyway, all we did was eat and meet and practice and sleep and eat and meet and practice and sleep. And we did that for those 10 days. That must have seemed like a year. It seemed like a year. Goodness gracious. Well, give us just a, uh, you know, we don't really know the specifics. You know, you, what time did you get up? What do you do? Take us through one day at Junction. Well, we had a mess all there. That's where we got to go eat. We had our bunks, which there was, it's a Quonset hut. It's like an old military yeah. thing with a screen wire and then a, something, a flap that you could pull down. And no central air conditioning. None. Absolutely none. And uh, but what we would do uh, is they would uh, blow the whistle early in the morning. I don't remember what time it was, but it was probably six or something like that. And so we knew we were going to have breakfast between so such a time. And so we'd go to breakfast and come back, and then we'd go to a meeting, and then we'd get through with the meeting. Then we'd go to a practice. Then we'd get through the practice, and uh, we'd recover, and then go to lunch, and then come back and have rest for a couple hours. And then we'd get ready to go practice in the afternoon, and we'd go practice for a good period of time. And then we would come in and get ready for supper, and then after supper we'd have meetings, and then we'd go to bed. And what was interesting is there was, let's see, there was two, four, six, eight to a Quonset hut. And every morning when you'd get up, you'd look around to see if anybody had left, because they did. And you could tell when somebody was leaving because you could hear the chain rattle on the gate. Yeah. And and that chain of rattle, we said, oh, there goes another one. There's another one. Hey, yeah. Okay, how many how many guys got on the bus to go to Junction and how many got on the bus to go back to town? It's, here's a general figure. We had, here's what they say, we had two busfuls going and one Volkswagen coming back. <laughs> but no, we probably ended up with 27 to 30. And it was probably 70, I don't know, something like 75 or So eight. about half. Yeah. About half. Goodness gracious. Right. You know, there must be an awfully strong bond between the guys that went through Junction with you. I know that getting a warm welcome at a reunion you guys had years ago meant a lot, an awful lot to Coach Brian. I hear that the university's got something planned uh, for the game here in a few days uh, with A&M folks that are coming into town. Can you tell us anything about that? Sure. One of the guys that was on that team was Dennis Gehring. Yeah. yeah. And he's been, he's been in College Station ever since he went to school there, and he's a businessman there. He had a bank, 
and now he's uh, running something. He likes to run things, but he's running this meeting that we're having with uh, Coach Paul Bryant Jr. We're having a reception Friday night before the A&M game, and there's about 50 that are coming, uh, and uh, we're going down on a bus Friday night for a reception, and we're going to walk the campus and do things like that because many of them haven't seen uh, the campus at, at Alabama. Well, you're going to enjoy it because it's amazing these days. It's really beautiful, and the expansions uh, have been incredible. Right, and we're going to go down the next morning for the game. I don't know what time the game. They haven't set that yet, but they're supposed to set it soon, and then we will go down for that. And they're going to introduce us as a group of former Coach yeah. Bryant players at the game, which we're looking forward to the game. And it ought to be a lot of fun. Well, you know what's funny about that was all the relationships there are between the two schools with Coach Bryant, Coach Stallings, John David Crow, uh, Jackie Sherrill, folks like yourself. Right. There is a very, uh, very strong sort of common bond there. And, and I got a hunch it'll be a really, a really good day. And I think it'll be a very, very healthy uh, rivalry. And I'm sure looking forward to it. Uh, to it being on an annual basis. You know, speaking of those guys, you played with a lot of really good football players. Like we mentioned, John David yeah. Crow, um, Coach Stallings, Jack Pardee, who was had a great pro career and then coached in the NFL. Sure. Uh, what are the things you remember most about going to war with those kind of guys before they became famous in football circles? Right. Well, Jack Pardee was my roommate. and uh, Wow. He was a six-man football player in the state of Texas. And uh, the reason they knew about him was because nobody could tackle him. <laughs> but he was really a hoss uh, and, and a great person. And it was great to have him as a roommate. And he's not going to be able to make it on this trip. I'd sure like to see him. But, so he's uh, still still living? Oh, yeah. He's still living. And uh, John David Crow was a famous one. And I can tell a story about that because when we came back from Junction, yeah. We were all upperclassmen. The freshmen came in that next week, and in that freshman group was John David Crow. We'd all heard about him. And, of course, in practice, of course, they'd put the freshmen against us because we were beat up. And, and John David Crow got our attention because he was a stud. And uh, not at that particular time, but sometime later, my, maybe in the spring, Coach Bryant wanted to find out how good John David Crow was going to be. And so he had a tendency of getting down on the goal line when he tried to find out about people. And so we were on the goal line with a goal line drill. Gut they, check. They call that a red zone now. We called it uh, goal line. But anyway, he said, John David, get over there and get the middle linebacker position. I want to see if you want to play ball. And and I can remember it like it was yesterday. Coach, because uh, John David didn't really you – know, he was a hoss. So he was strong, fast, and everything. Then he got over that middle linebacker. He didn't know how to play middle linebacker. And we just crushed him because I was one of the players that, you know, we're fixing to knock him out of here. But anyway, he finally got where he got down there and challenged us. And Coach Bryant uh, hollered over and said, go ahead and get out, John David. I've seen what I want to see. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but, but he never played much defense because we were going both ways in. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you played, Coach Bryant was still young enough to get down in the dirt with you. What were the things that he taught you, you know, most in – in terms of growing as a player, when you could have some of that one-on-one -on -one type coaching. You want to know the thing I remember the most? Yeah, yeah. One day we were going at it, and he picked me up, pulled me up to him and said, if you don't start fighting better than that, I'm sending you back to Lockhart. <laughs> Guess what? I got the message, and I started fighting. I, I never was all that great. I was just somebody that went after it, you know. And uh, back then we were all about the same size. 
So he so he lit your fire for you. Well, yeah, because I knew I didn't want to go back to Lockhart. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's uh, uh it's great how a, a coach like that can sometimes see that all you need is the right kind of motivation and 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 that kind of encouragement, you know. And and and, and best I recall, uh, and I'm not all that up to speed on A and M history, but I, I believe you guys only won a, a game or two his first year. But first over year. That, but over that next two or three years, things turned around pretty well. We won the conference in his third year there. Yeah, and that, that meant one, beating two, Texas. Three. Right, we did. And that's the big one out there, huh? That's right. When did you first start thinking about getting into coaching? Well, I spent five years in the Air Force. I was a pilot. I went through training and, and became a jet pilot. And then you had a five-year contract, and when it came up, Coach Stallings called me and said, if you want to get out and come to Alabama, I can get you a place to start from. And so that's what happened. He did, and I started at the bottom. I was a gopher, and— uh, but I learned a lot because I'd, you know, I was in the Air Force five years. I'd forgotten many things, and football had changed. But I got to start there, and, and I began to learn how to be a coach. And just to fast forward, yeah, I finally got to where I was coaching the offensive line with Jack Rutledge. We were buddies, and we the coached, governor, yeah, we coached the offensive line, and and uh, one of the things that I finally learned from Coach Bryant was how to get the player to want to be the best. Not for me to want him to be the best, but to get the player to want to be the best. And that's something that you have to understand. If you can get them to want to be the best, then they'll give you all they got. But if I'm trying to get them to be the best, they may do it. But when I turn around, they're in, in second gear, see. So the ones that understood that got the most they could get out of it and were the best they could be. Now, what year was it you joined the staff at Alabama? Oh, man, I don't know. This ring right here is 79. It was probably a couple years before that. And uh, So I, you got some national championship hardware right here in the house, don't you? I got, I got some of that, and I got it because Coach Bryant had the greatest program you could have. He did, uh, he did the most for the players. You know, I know you spent some um, time coaching at other places, SMU for one, I believe. What was it like being on that staff at Alabama, and how was it different from the other places you ever worked at? I can tell you very easily. Uh, like, I remember we were playing uh, LSU, and I don't remember what year it was, but they had a fantastic football team. The line was big and strong and fast, and, and when we were coaching, getting ready to play LSU, I was thinking, boy, we're going to have a tough time with these guys. And, and we went through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And Thursday, we always had a meeting over at the mess hall after practice. And Coach Bryant talked to the team and got them ready for the game. And I never will forget it. I went in there and I was thinking, boy, this, this is going to be a big, tough game. And it was a big, tough game. But when Coach Bryant got through talking to the team, I was ready, they were ready, and we were ready. He could just get the message across. And I left there and I thought, man. I was thinking, like, we're going to get beat up, and he was thinking that we're going to beat them up. But it's just the message he got to people, and they accepted it. They, they believed it. You know, I know there were a lot of good coaches out there, but it had to be special working with guys like Ken, Ken Donahue, Ken Meyer, Jimmy Sharp, Stallings, uh, Richard Williamson. And, of course, Mal Moore was on those yes. staffs. A lot of people forget about that. Speaking of championship rings, Mal's got nine or ten of them Oh, now. he's he's got a bunch of them. Uh, yeah. He's got just about both all the fingers on both hands right. covered. And I was fortunate enough to get to know Dude Hennessy, too. 
Uh, oh, and he, we lost him a couple of years yeah. ago, but just one of my favorite a people. special guy, yeah. And um, I just loved being around him and listening to him tell stories. His his wife is one of my favorite people in the whole world. Yeah. Did you get to spend any time with dude? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When I first came back out of the Air Force, Coach Bryant sent me – well, Coach Bryant didn't. Coach Grisco was the recruiting coordinator. Yep. He sent me on a trip with dude to recruit. Boy, was that a trip. You know, because he's such a – He's oh. such a fun guy. Yep. And uh, we had a hard time hitting all the places we were supposed to hit, but I, that was quite a trip. But I did learn a lot about recruiting and how to be in touch with the right people and the connections. And, yeah. Yeah, he had I, played for Coach Bryant as a defensive end at Kentucky and weighed about 160 pounds. That's right. That's right. Dude was a tough nut. He was I'm tough. I'm telling you, man. He could, right. Yeah. Hey, you know, Texas A&M's always been a powerful program, and there's no bigger name in the game than Alabama. What are the similarities, since you've been on both sides of this thing, what are the things that they're, they have in common, and how are they different? Well, actually, they're, they're pretty different. But Alabama doesn't have a core but they have a core belief. A&M has a core, and and the core is now not as big as the whole school is because you have to qualify to get a, a contract in the services, one of whichever one you choose, Air Force or Army. And if you don't get a contract, you're not in the core anymore after your sophomore year. And so there's uh, there's probably two thousand in the core and fifty thousand that are not in the core now. So it's a lot. When I was there, it was core totally covered up. And uh, essentially a military school, right? But but it's changed over time, and it's it's co-ed now. It's co-ed, right? That's a good thing. That's a good thing, right? (laughs) Hey, while you were coaching at Bama, you were in a lot of big games, coaching a lot of big name players. What are some of the things that stand out to you about your time with the Crimson Tide and all those those players and those personalities? Well, I had a lot of great players. Uh, Dwight Stevenson was one of our centers, and I'll tell you a story on his background. Coach Donahue was a great recruiter. He looked at all of them, and he brought him in. He brought Dwight Stevenson in as a defensive end. And uh, he would hit, and he could fly. He was quick, and he was strong. But he was a defensive end. Well, uh, we had a center that we had used that year. He was a big, strong center, and Coach Bryant moved him to nose guard. And he said in one of the coaches' meetings, he said, I'm moving uh, so-and-so to, no, to uh, nose guard because we need a strong guy at nose guard. And I'm going to move Dwight Stevenson to center. And I thought, oh, you're taking a guy we've already trained to be a center, and, and uh, you're moving somebody in that plays end. He said, well, I think he's got what it takes to be a center because he's quick and he's sharp and he'll fight. And he became a Great center. Possibly the best one we've ever had. Possibly could be. And, and, and of course, and, Coach, Coach Rutledge coached every step of his football because he was a technique guy, and I was more like a attitude guy, and he was more like a technique guy. So we, we worked out good together. Now, Dwight wound up, wound up having a fabulous NFL career with Absolutely. Dolphins. Yes. Oh, goodness gracious. Was, I mean, yeah, I think his son wound up playing at Notre Dame uh, in any event. Hey, you know – you survived Junction. You've coached at the highest levels of college football with some of the brightest stars in the profession. Uh, you had a close personal relationship with Coach Bryant, who in the minds of a lot of people, including mine, was the greatest of all time. How has that background helped you in the very successful business career you've had since you left coaching? Well, it, uh, it helped me because what people want to do in life is they want to give up. Anytime something gets tough or hard, 
or difficult. They want somebody to give them something or help them something. And not many people say, well, I'm going to get this done absolutely, period. And he taught us that because he, he's told us many times in the meeting, he says, one of these days you're going to be out of here and things are going to be turned against you. And you're going to be wondering, well, how am I going to get out of this? Right now, you need to reach down in there and learn how you're going to get by that, how you're going to learn to be able to do that. And that's what he taught us. He taught us those values to never, ever, ever give up. And uh, It gets easy, easier every time you do it. It does, yeah. yeah. Hey, what are your thoughts and feelings about Texas A&M joining the SEC? And what are you hearing from your friends and fellow alumni back there about it? What's the reaction to it generally? Well, they, knew, they got a new coach this year, and they've had uh, a little quarterback named Johnny Football. Yeah, Johnny Manziel. Yeah, Johnny Manziel. Uh, they're excited because they're in the Southeastern Conference, and they know how good of a conference it is and how the football's played. And, and this group, I've talked to some of them. They're looking forward to the game and uh, having a good time here at the best place in the country for college football. Well, you know, and it's it's interesting um, kind of looking at it from the outside. From my point of view, is I, of course, I'm very aware that Texas A&M and Texas have always been a huge rivalry. It's the big one, biggest one in the state of Texas. But now that Texas A&M has joined the SEC, the dynamics of that relationship have changed a little bit, and you can see that even from the outside. So I, I'm wondering, uh, what do you think and how do you think that will affect recruiting, for instance, uh, uh, especially with high school coaches and college prospects in the state of Texas? Oh, that will be a plus for anybody that wants to go over there and represent the Southeastern Conference and, and really try to recruit one of the players over there. I think they'll have a much better chance of doing that. Because University of Texas has tailed off a little bit, but the thing behind what happened in that conference is Texas got a package from a TV contract. It wasn't fair with the rest of the teams, and so uh, you know they they get all the money, and that's not exactly how it worked. But uh, you know they, they just, so they lost some people to the Southeastern Conference who thinks football and winning is number one. And well, the, the 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 regional and local rivalries uh, in the Big Twelve now have decreased, and there's been an increase of teams coming into the conference. Uh, from different demographic and geographic right. areas that I think are not going to have a very positive effect. And it may help uh, the folks at the TV networks from a programming standpoint, but from a rivalry standpoint and a, uh, an intensity standpoint within the conference, I'm not sure the Big 12's headed in a good direction right now. Yeah, I know, because when I was, when I was in high school, I remember listening to the A&M Texas game where TCU playing someone and it was it affected everybody's thinking about college and college football and all that competition. Hey, you know, since you're living here in Birmingham, it's got to be fun for you to follow A and M as they make their way through their first season in the conference. Uh, they've got that young quarterback we just mentioned, Johnny Football. What's your take on how the Aggies are doing so far this year, and how do you how do you think they stack up coming into the, coming into the game against Alabama? Well, they run an offense that's just wide open, and that's opposite of what Alabama's doing. They're doing the the professional type of uh, an eye formation and running hard, and and uh, the one the thing that A and M's doing is a little bit more open. And uh, but I think uh, I think it's an interesting way pe- people like to watch that kind of football. They like to see points scored, maybe not uh, as many as they scored this past week, but they like to see a lot of points scored because that's fun. How do you think we stack up against uh, the two teams stack up against each other on the line of scrimmage? I think they got a good line of scrimmage. 
they, they got a good line scrimmage. I think Alabama's a little bit ahead of them, but uh, they've got good players up there. Yeah. Uh, as a former player and coach, what stands out to you about Bama this year? Uh, the things the most, more specifically, uh, and and the way Coach Saban runs the programs, the the, the place Alabama's program Alabama's programs in right now. What stands out to you the most about it? I think I think it's their attitude about uh, the whole thing. It's their attitude about how they do uh, their offense, how they do their defense. They got a they got a winning attitude about it they still have to compete and they're competing but i think that they have moved into a place where they have really been able to grow in the attitude of we're going to win well uh d i was just wondering what what do you got going these days i know you're uh living here in birmingham and we're all real happy about that i'm glad you're nearby what 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 have you got going on these days well i got a family here my daughter's here the granddaughters are here and uh we uh, go to a great church and have uh, a fun life here in Birmingham, just uh, getting a little bit older, but enjoying every bit of it. Hey, join the club. Hey, so, so you planning on staying in this area for the foreseeable future? We're going to stay here unless somebody moves us out. <laughs> <laughs> D, I can't tell you how much uh, fun I've had getting a chance to talk to you and visit with you. Uh, it's been a while. It's been too long. Uh, and I really appreciate you taking time and making the effort to come over and share some of the things with us because there's just not many people out there that, that have got a a view of this thing like you do. You've been, uh, like I say, on both sides of it, play, played at A&M and coached at Alabama, and, and I really enjoyed uh, hearing you talk about your view about those things. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? 298-1912. Thank you so much. Hey, listen, I hope you'll come back and visit I'm, us sometime. Very good. I enjoyed it. Thank hey, you. Hey, before we run the last couple of minutes off the game clock, we want to remind you to tell your friends that they can find Bama Talk Show in the podcast section of iTunes. We're on Stitcher now, or they can crash our podcast party at bigbrainsmedia.com, where there are several other shows they may want to check out, such as Weather Brains, which features weather guru and all-around good guy James Spann. We've all got a lot of important decisions to make these days. Who to vote for, which coach to fire, which coach to hire, can we afford to put the kids in military school, how to pay for liposuction, it goes on and on. But we hope you'll make the choice to hear our voice on a regular basis by hitting that subscribe button, which saves and stores every show so you can listen at your leisure. This is an important time for all Americans, especially Alabama fans, and we hope you'll plan to stand with us as we look forward to the future on the show where our polls indicate equal time means 50% roll and 50% died. I'm Steve Sample and I approve this message. Well, it's time to head for the locker room, but we want to say how much we're enjoying the feedback we're getting from all over the planet. If you'd like to contact me, feel free to send an email to steve at bamatalkshow.com. That's it for now. We hope you enjoyed it. We sure did. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.